Hey everyone, it's Andrew Schlecht. I am not your host today because your host is my good friend, Michele Barra, who is just the man. He's really helping me out this week and he's got a really great podcast for you where he answers a ton of questions. Uh, he's such a smart basketball mind. I'm super thankful for him. Uh, but I do need to tell you about our sponsors for today's show. Our first is Peyton Marie Photography. You can find her on Instagram at Peyton Marie Photo. Her website is PeytonMarie.com. She is an Oklahoma-based wedding photographer. Her main goal is to capture authentic emotion and unforgettable moments through her bold and creative images. Her photography style is non-traditional, genuine, and a bit out of the box. And you can see that when you follow her on Instagram because our photos are just spectacular. And you get a glimpse of the personality of the bride and the groom just through the photos. And it's really pretty cool. Uh, she believes that your photo should be a true reflection of who you are and that your wedding photo shouldn't look like anyone else's. Though she is based in OKC, she loves to travel anywhere for destination weddings and elopements. Right now, and I've told you about this deal, McKelly and I have tried to emphasize what a great deal this is, but you can get 10% off of a wedding package right now if you book in 2019. If you tell her that you found out about this great deal through Down to Dunk. So please do that. Support the people that support Downs to Dunk and go to PeytonMarie.com. Our second sponsor is KP's Cleaning Services. They're a local Oklahoma-based business serving the metro area and surrounding areas. So if you live in that area, you need to call them, 290-8172, because your house is going to be immaculate. I walked into my house after they've cleaned, and... And let me tell you, my wife and I, we run a pretty tight ship. It's a clean house. It's not a dirty house. But the difference between the way that I clean and the way they clean, there's just no contest. It's KP clean. It's amazing. We heard people comment on, how did you get your house so clean? Like, I didn't. KP's cleaning service did that. So give them a call. You can get 10% off the month of September on your first cleaning, if you give them a call, 290-8172. They're also on Facebook and Instagram under KP's Cleaning Service. Great people and do a fantastic job of cleaning homes. So support the people that support Down to Dunk. Go check out KP's Cleaning Services. And now, some super smart basketball questions and answers from McKelly Barrow. I'm Stephen Adams. This is down to Doug. I'm I'm miffed and peeved. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Down to Dunk. This is your temporary host, Michele Berra. Andrew will be soon in vacation, and so I hope he enjoys uh, wherever place uh, is going to go and. I ask you some questions as, and as always, you didn't disappoint. I mean, I had so many interesting questions through uh, Twitter, many topics to cover. I hope to answer the majority of them. And if I don't, I will try to answer them uh, directly on Twitter. So thank you again um, to be for being like great fans and awesome people that helps uh, when you have uh, solo pods and stuff like that, and in many other ways. 
Um, the first question is about FIBA, and uh, Michael Anderson, uh, the Frozen Doki, uh, asks uh, about rules. So you guys talked about FIBA being different in multiple ways. Regarding less pace, couldn't a team just consistently shoot from well beyond the arc and force opponents to guard them out there? And with the goaltending difference, what does, does that mean guys like Nerns or Javel McGee um, who seems to goaltend often, will be better defenders in FIBA. Uh, the first part, I think it's a very, very interesting point. I mean, we are witnessing in the NBA, and Atlanta is not the only team. Houston is doing it since, I think, last season at least. Um, teams are stretching um, the, the court. They are shooting, I would say, three, four, five feet beyond the three-point line in order for uh, opponents to to be like more aggressive, more high in, in pick and roll covering, for example. Uh, this is not something new um, because teams used to run some high pick and roll stuff. The, the novelty is they are going to shoot out of that. Stretching the defense with, pick, with high pick and rolls is not, is not new, uh, not even for the NBA, but shooting from that distance is. Uh, Portland is another team with Lillard that is trying to make those 30-footers um, not like exceptional shots, but, but shots that you take game in and game out. Um, regarding to FIBA, I do think that this could be a solution, but you have to take into account that FIBA's court is actually um, different in terms of measurements uh, than the NBA one. So I think um, it's, it's shorter in both sides. And so you don't have that that much of a space that you have in the NBA. But yeah, sure. I mean, you can do that, especially because uh, since FIBA's 3.9 is closer, you have a margin to at least taking shots like uh, the NBA right now. And so I don't know if they are going to shoot like 30 footers anytime soon because the shooters are not the same as in the NBA. And to be honest, like, you have Eric Gordon, James Harden, uh, Lillard, Curry, maybe Trey Young in the future that can really shot from there and having like reasonable percentage. You're talking like 10 shooters maybe in the world that are comfortably taking those shots. So I'm not sure it is something easy, but it should, surely is something that you can try. And But we are not seeing that in FIBA, uh, to be honest. So a good point. I don't know. I would... I would try uh, to see if this is possible. And, um, and yeah, maybe this could be also a thing in college, uh, in the NCAA. I don't know. But yeah, sure. Um, about the goaltending, I think that the, um, the idea of, of FIBA is that when the shot doesn't go in, then the ball is alive. And, and centers actually play like that. So they, they keep a different position. So I think there is just a way a different way to guard the rim. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that guys like Javeo and Nels will be incredibly better at that. Because you have to be smart. You have to be uh, aware. And so those things are actually stuff that a great center has. So Gobert will be amazing. Steven will probably be amazing at that. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I would love to see that in the NBA because it, it adds like a different, um, 
different thing. Like you are way more active down there. Joe, next question. Joe Mangus uh, or Menges, I don't know. Jordan Menges uh, on uh, on Twitter. Pretending that you are Thunder GM, what are your moves and plans? Uh, for 2019-2020? So this is a very broad question, but helps me discussing a few things that I wanted to discuss anyway uh, here in the pod today. And I think that if I'm a GM, I would try not to sell low any of my pieces for the sake of building a worse team. So there's no point on selling low on Gallo. There's no point on selling low or paying to move Chris Paul. So the thing, the first thing that I have in my mind is I don't want to sell low. If someone wants to pay what I have, sure. But it has to be the right price. I I th- I said this many times in the podcast and I will uh, restate uh, what I think about winning. I, I am convinced that building a winning culture is extremely helpful. Take Golden State. They had like a team that wasn't okay with Monte Ellis, uh, with Curry and Thompson that were good players, but not extremely good ones. They were okay, uh, but they were not winning. And Curry had questions. Clay had questions on him. And they end up going against the Spurs. And they played amazing in that series. One playoff series, nothing more than that if I remember correctly. Maybe they played two uh, because they beat them. I don't remember um, as of now, but I do remember that team being scrappy, being great at, at, at ball movements. They wanted to play uh, a certain kind of basketball and they were winning even if they didn't have a star. But the star were in the team. And we discovered that like a few years later. There is value on giving young guys playoff experience, especially if they can be a part of it, like a huge part of the team. And Shea, Terrence, uh, Steven, who is still very young, uh, Baisley, I don't know if he will play, Diallo, whoever is in OKC, could benefit a lot of a playoff series. I know that it is very unlikely that this team makes the playoffs, but anyway, um, if the difference between not taking, uh, like taking for Gallo, a late first rounder, or trying to make a push, I would do that. Uh, regarding like different moves, um, I will hold um, to to Terence as much as possible because I believe in his development, and I would be open to move basically anyone else, Stephen included. I know about the culture, I really do, but if the right offer um, comes to your uh, to your door, say Boston asks for him and tries to put. Uh, I don't know, Jalen Brown and um, Hayward. I think that Andrew discussed that on the Frypod. Yeah, I mean, I would really think about it because you you have to to, to get value from your uh, assets, uh, even if it's Steven, uh, who is like a culture setting and, and other stuff. So... But this is my view uh, on the team as of now. I would really try to to put Terrence uh, at a small forward starting spot because I want him to try to guard different kind of, um, of players. I want to see him and uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander on the court. And so I will push for that. Um, I will try to move Nerys 
sooner or later, sooner rather than later, because I think that there is a need uh, for a cheap center and like Boston, Los Angeles, probably both teams in Los Angeles would use Nero as a Nero as um, as a backup or a starting center, and so I would try to 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 get an asset or a young player for him, uh, and that's that's about it. I mean, I would try to move Chris uh, Chris Paul if the um, if the right offer comes into uh, like if I, we can find a good offer uh, but again not paying for or not getting zero value for him i don't think i would just for a, a salary cap standpoint john grooms here it is which type of player do you think presti is most likely to target in a rebuild an extended rookie uh, on an affordable contract is an example Lavin, uh, a rookie coming up an extension to place under team control example Sabonis undervalues rookie example um, KBD or draft compensation I don't know uh, I mean it depends on the player rather than the type of contract that he that he has like there is value in any of those uh, type of players like you can see in a guy like um, Domana Sabonis, a, star, a starting center of the future, because his ability to play in a system, uh, his ability to do handoffs, his ability to stretch the floor. I, I, I am firmly believer that if he wants, he can be a 35% uh, shooter, spot up shooter. Um, and there is value on guys like Lavigne, uh, who already extended. Uh, maybe it's not cheap, his extension, but it's workable. And there is also value in rookies that didn't pan out. I mean, um, Dennis Smith, for example, is a guy that didn't pan out uh, and maybe is worth it, uh, another choice. I I don't know. I mean, uh, he's a guy that I don't think has a huge value. And if, like, New, York's, New York wants to send him for Chris Paul, why not? I mean, um, I'm not against those kind of moves. Maybe... Uh, maybe Dennis Smith Jr. is not the right example, but you can find those uh, here and there. So it's it's more to me about what kind of player you are looking for and why he didn't shine uh, in his former team, because this is important as well. For example, Oladipo was was a good player, like reasonably good. Um, they he asked probably for a good contract, and Orlando was was going nowhere. And so there was no point for them on paying them. And I also think that they misevaluate uh, Oladipo as a player. So you need really to understand. So if you think about that like a specific player, then you can you can try to, to make an argument on why. I, I would try to see if there is a wing uh, that for different reasons uh, didn't work out in his former team um, and, and see if this is something that you can incorporate in your um, in your system and I mean I would not really be opposed to anyone like this team made Dion Waiters a better player like a professional player so I'm not scared about Andrew Wiggins or stuff like or players like that um, John's Groom, John Grooms asked another one what players not mentioned it would you target where do you see most opportunity cost I mean again it's hard you have to scroll through basically the entire uh, league but I, I, I mentioned uh, a few players. I think that there are many, and we can surely try uh, to discuss a bit more. But I mean, the point is uh, trying to extrapolate uh, good value. Like, 
let's let's take Josh Jackson. I do think that he has been in a horrible environment, um, in a bad team culture. And he was part of it. He was part of the bad team culture. Um, is he a bad player? Is he a bad person? Is he someone who doesn't want to work? Or he realized that he made mistakes, that he's not where he's supposed to be, that his career is not going where he's supposed to, where he was supposed to go. And so maybe he wants a second chance. Maybe he comes to your door, with, with his agent come to, comes to your door and says, well, why not him? And maybe you make a play for him because he's a young guy who has exceptional talent, or at least he had, he can defend, he can play the pick and roll, he's a big wing, and maybe you can find a player in him. I'm just throwing out an example. I, I don't want to take like Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson tomorrow. Um, Neil Akina is another example. So he's he, and there is a question, I think, later uh, that asks for, for him. I do think that he is another guy that played in a very dysfunctional environment. And maybe he's not... Um, like um, a starter caliber wing, but he can defend multiple positions. He can play alongside Shea Gilgis Alexander. You can create a tandem where you have six, 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 five guys with crazy long arms and that can really play defense. Um, so those kind of players are out there and you can make a play for them. I, I mentioned last podcast Anunobi. I do think that there is a, a way of getting him because Toronto has is going to a rebuild, but maybe like getting a different kind of player that doesn't overlap as much with Pascal Siakam is a better fit for them. And Anunobi could be a great fit for OKC. I don't know. I mean, you you can you can surely find um, guys like that. Josh Morrison. Um, Long-time listener. Uh, what is Fra- Ferg's ceiling? I keep thinking hyper-athletic Danny Green, including the fact that neither can dribble. Thoughts? I don't think that he can't dribble. I do think that his developing on that particular aspect of his game is kind of behind uh, the schedule. But you have to factor in the fact that he's extremely young. He's younger than Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And he played an entire NBA season plus a playoff series, uh, playoff series as a starter of, of the team. And he was great for, I would say, six weeks. Like great meaning like legitimately great, great guard, guard that you want to start. And so I have big expect- expectation on, on for him. I do think that there is part of his game that we didn't see yet. I remember, and if you go back with your memory, you probably remember this too, the game against Los Angeles, and where he erupted for 26 points, I think. In that game, I saw him beating a guy with a closeout and a pull-up. I mean, we rarely saw that in the, in, in like, last season, because OKC needed him to be outside the three-point line no matter what. And I remember Maddie Lee, uh, with, and she's, she is a great follower and a great basketball mind. I advise you to read and listen, whatever she said, because she's great. Um, I was saying Maddie wrote an article, I think in December or January, I don't remember exactly, about him, about Ferguson creating some assists. I do think that when you have a team culture where passing the ball to one another 
is not the like it's important but it's not the focal point of the offense the focal point of okc offense was trying to create a quick three uh using russell westbrook pick and roll or paul george pick and roll slash isolation on the weak side uh, so uh, isolation on the, on the strong side and then um, like maybe a corner three on the other side so this was the focus and then maybe trying to feed Steven uh, in some either in some like dive to the rim uh, or in some post up which is not the way you should use Steven by the way but anyway um, so maybe this year where you put an emphasis on passing the ball of doing like four, five, six passes per uh, per possession where Chris Paul can manipulate the defense and creating space, not just for an open shot, but to beat your man your man out of um, with, with your dribble, then maybe we will see more of him. I do think that Danny Green makes a fair comparison if you don't include the dribble. He has to improve a little bit on, on the shooting part because he's on the right trajectory, but not there as a shooter. But I... I don't want to stop him. I don't want to put him in a box where I see him just as a 3 and D guy. It's He's not like that. He can be more than that, I think. And so um, I have big, big expectation. I had big expectation for Steven last season. And for two months I was right and then I was wrong for the rest of the season. We'll see. I mean, I have big expectations for both uh those guys john ross uh now that andrew is gone can we talk about how deep into the playoffs this team will go but seriously do you think this team will be as fun to watch as some previous thunder teams which young guys are you most excited to see play more minutes i think i mentioned ferg and i'm very excited to see uh to see him i think that okc has the potential to be a fun team gallo is a fun player I'm having fun watching Gallo in FIBA, even if Italy is badly losing to Spain because they don't know how to use possession in the proper way and Bellinelli is wasting whatever uh, idea of basketball he had. Anyway, um, I do think that there is a chance and there is a universe, there is a, a planet where OKC can go to the first round of the playoffs. Uh, more than that, eh, that, that becomes like maybe like a fantasy it's not reality but i do think there is a chance to to see them uh playing in the first round as the eight seed the scrappy eight seed that played uh, play their a off every night and and somehow wins 42 i don't know uh i would love to to be honest i would love to see shay ferg and adams having a real playoff experience again uh, Bobby Cortez, why is nobody talking about the Rockets as a team to win the West? The only team that has beaten them in the playoff is Golden State, and that version of Golden State is now gone. Uh, you know, Bobby, I don't think that there is anyone who's talking about that. I think that there, really, there are many people, including um, good uh, media folks like Kevin Pelton, uh, Chris Herring, I think discussed the fact that... Um, ESPN projection has the Rockets as the best team. I do think that there is a decent chance that this team is going to win 55, 56 games in the West and is going to be the first seed, the, the, um, yeah, the number one seed. And I do think that me and Andrew are very high on regular season Houston. Um, there is no doubt that having Russell Westbrook helps you win games. Uh, he won like 46, 48, and 49 as basically uh, the star maybe last year was Paul George. And now he has 
arguably a better running mate because you can you can say that James Harden is a better player than Paul George. Maybe not as a functional with Russell uh, SPG and defensively is surely not, but the guy was probably an MVP for the past three seasons. So, I mean, if the other players, like if Daniel House make a little step ahead, if Eric Gordon plays like two seasons ago, if PJ Tucker holds his own and Capella uh, remains a good center, why not? I mean, they have good players. Maybe they are not deep, but they're surely good. And I'm, I'm not betting against them. I, if I, if I'm totally honest with you, I think that the Clippers will be probably the team to beat in the playoffs. But they will have a fifty, low fifty, uh, or maybe high forty season like if they win 49 50 i would not be surprised mainly because of the resting pattern and the fact that they are not deep um nate ostrowski how do you think again shea and devin booker would fit and who would be the primary ball handler oh this is a i think this question was asked too many uh, like um, not too many times a couple of times um especially in Sam Vecini's uh, podcast um, with uh, Cole Swicker, I do think that the fit between the two um, is great. Because let's be honest, I mean, you want um, a high-volume shooting guard with Shea. Um, you, have, you want a guy that can pull up from three. That's why I was excited about the idea of getting Darius Garland, a guy like that, on uh, in OKC, because he's a guy that can pull up uh, from three, uh, or at least that was the idea of him uh, at college level. So um, I do think that they would fit great. Maybe Devin would have to be a little bit better defensively. And I think that Shea would be the primary initiator, meaning you bring the ball up the court, you try to free up Booker for like an off-screen action or stuff like that. And then if that doesn't work, you do you go into a handoff situation where um, Devin Booker can play the, the pick and roll maybe. Something like that. Um, a similar situation was like Collison and Oladipo in, in Indiana, where Collison was the de facto point guard, but uh, Oladipo took basically as many pick and roll or maybe more pick and roll so i don't know i mean um it can go both ways i do think that shea can shea and booker are players that can play both position uh, very well and so um, it doesn't make too much sense to me to say primary ball handler probably it's it's like 50 50 something like that um jd american Will absence of Westbrook unleash a barrage of Adams' outlet passes? He's, he's a missing talent he may actually have. Um, he can do that. I'm not sure if this is such a great thing. Like, not. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about volume. So how many outlet passes? Uh, I don't think he is Kevin Love in that particular um, aspect of the game. But yeah, we can see more. Uh, outlet passes because we will not have or maybe we will i don't know um a point guard that takes 10 rebounds maybe they want shea to do the same and so adams will keep a boxing out maybe not on free throws i don't know um surely i another thing about steven is that he can be uh, a short roll passer 
And this is something that we didn't see because uh, over the last season, the space for Steven to operate in pick and roll was so slim that he either had enough space just for shooting because he was surrounded or he had to do a post-up situation, like being a post-up situation, a static post-up situation. Now that we have different players like Gallo, like Shea, like CP3 that can really stretch the floor and Ferguson, maybe we will see uh, a pass-happy version of Steven. And that is a part of the game that Steven has to improve on. Or at least we need to see that, to see him taking using more uh, possession as a passer because he can do that. And a passing center, maybe even not a great one uh, like Jokic, is always helpful, always. And we we didn't see that from Steven, and I want to see that. Um, Jesse Smith, another long-time listener, Ben Elephant King, are there any other factors that play into Gallinari's trade value? Obviously, injury concerns are there, but... Is he a good teammate and locker room guy? Is he a hard worker? I don't have a feel for his personality. Um, I don't want to speak too much about uh, Gallo as a human being because I I cannot act like someone who knows him. Um, I don't. And what I know is, like, you can find online. So, But I do want to say this about his history as a basketball player that maybe helps you understand what kind of player and what kind of person he is. Uh, he grew up in a basketball family. His father was uh, one of the one great defensive player of Milan uh, when Milan was a great team in Europe. He was coached by American coach like Dan, Dan Peterson. He played with Bob McAdoo uh, and guys like that. So Danilo grew up in a basketball environment. And at 17 years old, I saw him in his first professional game, he dunked on a 6'9 Canadian center uh, at his, as his first possession in the league. Like, this was something incredible. He he put up 17 or 18 in that game, being the best player on the court in the second division in Italy. Uh, but it wasn't like an easy career for Gallo. He had many injuries. Uh, he had problems growing up uh, in terms of his body sustaining his height. And so he had to work hard, he had to rehab, he had to, uh, to come back for multiple injuries. And he always did, because he always took care of his body, he always took care of, uh, of, his, um, of his diet and stuff like that. He, never, he was never overweight, he was ever, like maybe not in perfect shape, yes, but he was in great shape every time he showed up for the national teams. And so I have n- nothing bad to say about Gallo and um, and I'm sure he, he he will be a great locker room presence uh, in OKC maybe he has different aims uh, like he wants to be in different cities big cities I don't know uh, his track record seems to uh, to allude to that like he was in New York then in Denver and then when he had to choose he chose Los Angeles so maybe there is a part of him that wants to be away but I'm sure that he will take this uh, chance of playing for OKC is a serious one. Um, about his trade value, I do think that a good start of the season and a great FIBA uh, tournament that he's having, maybe not exceptional because OK, Italy is losing, but he was the best player on the court uh, every single night, uh, can boost up his trade value at, at maybe at the beginning of the season. And so, again, if uh, a great offer comes in, comes in 
in December or stuff like that. I do think that OKC will take it. Um, Alex, tall, curly dude, asks, cannoli or tiramisu? Oh boy, uh, it depends on the cannoli, of course. Uh, if we are talking about the little cannolis that they are doing here in in my place, then probably cannoli or in Sicily, cannoli again. But the great tiramisu is something so awesome. I don't know. I mean, 50-50, if, if I have a gun in my head, I would probably take cannoli. Kobe Zeller, which are your favorite three teams in NBA history? So, disclaimer, uh, I'm... I'm fairly new to the NBA. Uh, I started covering, I started following the NBA for real, not just internet and a few um, games here and there in 2012, 2013, or maybe 2012. Yeah, I watched the entire finals uh, of OKC. I was already a fan, but I used to watch like so little in terms of um, in terms of NBA. Um, now I'm watching like basically, I don't know, 200 games per year and so i would say the my favorite team of the last decade um there is the san antonio spurs that won the title with Kawhi leonard i enjoyed watching the run uh the, the title run so much that games those games were amazing it was late uh team duncan there was still a great version of ginobili and and tony parker that was a team that i i loved quite a lot um i also loved the first uh, title team Golden State Warriors. That team was as fun as hell. Like watching Curry becomes the best player in the league and Clay Thompson shooting lights out. Um, th- there was no OKC in that playoff run, and I remember watching every game of Golden State because it was so incredibly fun. And then, of course, there is OKC. I mean, it's it's my team. It's the team that I loved first in the NBA and uh, I still do. So which version of, of the team is the best? I don't know. But I remember a specific moment when I said, wow, I, I loved watching this team play. And it was 2013-2014 uh, in New York when Russell Westbrook was back from his first uh, knee sit back uh, after like the... Pat Beverly incident and Russ played an amazing and inspiring game he had a triple double if I remember correctly taking like 12 shots it was the best of the best Um, that version never really materialized for different reasons injuries and stuff like that but that team had so much potential Um, Austin Sternlich can you have a franchise point guard that isn't a great shooter, floor spacer on a championship team? Uh, it's hard, uh, clearly. It's as hard as hell to have a point guard that doesn't shoot very well. But there are, like, Tony Parker is not a great floor spacer. You much rather lie, like, I remember Tony Parker being guarded um, in a different way. Like, yeah, shoot the ball, but you, you will not penetrate. So... But, but a guard that can shoot, that can really shoot, it's it's hard. Um, if you're if you're referring to Russ, I mean, yeah, it's hard to have a player that shot thirty two percent on mid range and twenty eight on threes, um, especially on high volume. If it's not high volume, maybe. But if you have like an an efficient player that is taking twenty shots, then it's hard. Uh, we saw that. 
there's no denial. It's there's no point on denying that it was hard to win with Russ shooting a wide open trees at a thirty percent clip. Uh, Nick Vortman, if D'Angelo Russell is available at the deadline, would you consider trading Gallo Ferguson and a couple of picks for him? Would the Warriors go for it? Yeah, the Warriors would go for him for it like immediately. Like this is a huge haul for a player that is paying. He's paid like a lot, 34, I think. And he was a an all-star in the East. But I would not go that far. I mean, if it's Gallo Ferguson full stop, then maybe. But I again, this is taking a risk on a player that may or may not fit. He, he may fit with, with Shea. Uh, the talent fit is great. But sending a huge part of your your stock because the Miami pick maybe has to be uh, considered there. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I would do that for Bradley Beal. They are not very far in terms of age. But again, why are you doing that today? Like you're moving out Gallo and Ferguson, which are two starters that make sense on this team, and you put another star on this team that doesn't fit Chris Paul, Shea. And, and Scherzer. So I don't think it is a good deal. If you're talking about like Chris Paul going to the Warriors, well, yeah, but Colin State will not do that. Um, we already discussed a bit about the differences uh, in NBA and FIBA. X Cooking asks about those. Um, there are, there are different uh, rules about unsportive men's like fouls. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, there are five fouls instead of six. To get to the bonus um, and to be thrown out of the game. Uh, of course, the game is shorter, uh, four periods of ten minutes instead of twelve minutes. So, but but the um, but this is about it. Uh, I would say um, there's nothing that comes to my mind, um, and we already discussed the um, uh, the different size of the court, the three point line. Um, maybe another thing that I have to, to say is that there is no three seconds on defense. So uh, teams can patrol the paint as much as they want. Uh, and this is something that I think the NBA has better um, because not having a guy there all the time makes things extremely uh, fun to watch. Dicky, uh, sorry, Jack Oten, um, what kind of trace value? Trade value, sorry, does Chris Paul, Gallinari, Adam Schroeder, Robertson, Muscala, and Noel have? Wow, uh, a long list of names. Do you think the Thunder could trade for Jonathan Isaac or the Under Hunter? What are your thoughts on those two players? Uh, long defenders that are not proven shooter are something. Proven shooters are something that maybe OKC has already on the on their. Um, the roster, uh, I would not target those two specifically, even if there is value there. Uh, there's no denial that they are interesting player. Maybe Isaac has probably a bit more of a round player, like a sound player in terms of the things that he can do on the court. Um, but I don't think neither teams are going to trade those players because there is value on having them and developing them. About the, the trade value, I think that over the last few podcasts, we 
discuss that. Uh, I think that Gallinari, Adams, and maybe Noel can be worth a pick. Uh, Gallinari, if a good first rounder, Adams, a first rounder, and and probably Noel, uh, maybe a heavy conditional first rounder or a second or two seconds, something like that. Schroeder has kind of net of zero net value. He's a player that you can put on a trade and it will not improve nor diminish the value. Robertson and Chris Paul to me as of today and Muscala also. Well, Muscala has zero value, basically. It's a minimum contract. You can put him in whoever trade without changing the value. I do think that both Chris Paul and Robertson are net negative as of now. Robertson, because we don't really know if he can play another game in the NBA. Um, Chris Paul because of the contract, of course. Uh, if Chris is uh, willing to diminish the guaranteed value on the third year, maybe he can be a net zero value. In order for him to be a positive value, he has to play his day off um, in, um, in the first few months of the season. Um, and so, yeah, that's... that's um, Basically, what I think is um, is the value of of those players. Um, it's it's also dependent on the kind of guys that you you want back. Because clearly, if you are willing to take back a lesser player, like someone who has Wiggins like contract, then maybe you can. You can find a trade partner, but we already discussed that in the last podcast. And how can I say that? Nobody seems to love Wiggins, so we we should not really dwell into that. Uh, Dicky Toxin, there have been many what ifs in OKC uh, for taking Gobert over Adams into in the 2013 draft. What difference would you venture into the development of Adams if he had been chosen by the Utah Jazz instead of OKC, given the more team over star oriented culture of the Jazz? Uh, I will sound incredibly stupid, but I don't think that this is a what if that OKC is going. Like, if you have the chance now to redraft, I'm, yeah, maybe you draft Gobert, but the thing that Steven brought to this team go, I think, beyond um, certain stuff that you can see on the court. He was a steady presence. He was a beloved presence. And you never know. You never know. I don't discard the value of, of Gobert, but I still think that uh, Steven is a better offensive player. And it's it's not really close. He's misused, I think. He He's not in a, sp- in a, in a team where he his impact can be maximized. If you give Gobert like post-ups against another center, he will not shine. And neither did Steve, even if in post-ups he, he shot very well during the season. So what I'm trying to say is, yeah, maybe Steve in, okay, in, in um, Utah would have had like maybe better opportunities in terms of offense. But I don't think that Steven's rising in terms of being a great center has stopped already he is entered his prime last season he was disappointing um in the second part of the season where there were like few touches for him i do wonder how chris paul will impact his career because he made every single center great capella uh he made like 
he made um, DeAndre Jordan uh, a great center, an amazing center, and he wasn't the same after CP3 left for, for Houston. So I do think we will be surprised by Steven. And, uh, and yeah, so it's a big what if, but not as big as taking Andrew Robertson instead of Draymond Green. If you, if, you, if you have to redraft 2013, you clearly, I would clearly take maybe, uh, well, of course, Janis, but maybe even uh, Oladipo or uh, CJ McCallum. Uh, you, you couldn't, of course, but those are the players uh, that you want instead of Steven. With with Gobert, yes, but not not as much as others. Um, of course, OKC could not pick Oladipo and um, and CJ because they were taking ahead of him. But I was just thinking about players of that draft that are really better than him. Um, what does this team look like? This is Rob Wiley asking. What, what does this team look minus Gallo and CP3 and SGA available? Assuming we only get future asset and salary filler, I get the feeling CP3 may stay all year to his, to his tough contract. Thoughts? Um, minus Gallo with CP3 and SGA, says Rob Wiley. Uh, I don't think this is still a good team, especially uh, if um, if we have a certain development on, on Ferguson. I do think that OKC will have issues on be effective defensively um, because, I mean, they really miss a, a four. And if you play Muscala every night, then it's it's not going to, to end up well. Uh, but um, I do think that having CP3 raise your seating as a regular season team quite a lot and um so yeah uh with gallo i think they have a chance to make the playoffs uh, i i'm probably stupid i'm probably the only one but i still think that is uh, a reality without gallo they are not a playoffs team uh that that you can you can write it out everywhere and they they will not uh they will not uh, Kashi asks a question about Anthony Edwards. I am not ready to discuss any prospect as of now because I have no, no, I, I haven't watched a single clip of him. I will do that probably in a September, uh, in late September, October, uh, but likely during the uh, NCAA season. Oh, Declan Ford asks a question about uh, American, uh, well, Italian food that you can get in America. It's it's not really about that. You can get most of the stuff. Um, you can get truffles, you can get cheese, you can get everything. The point is, it's not the same. Uh, I'm making, uh, I'll make an example. Uh, so I love a cheese called burrata, which is basically a mozzarella with inside um, a creamy cheese, which is like sweet, amazing. Like it's a fresh cheese. And the place where you can find it is in Puglia. Uh, so near Bari or places like that, southern part of Italy. If you take the exact same cheese that is made there and shipped in my place, which is a thousand or well, 700 miles maybe uh, north, it's not the same. Can you imagine that cheese in America? It will clearly not taste the same. Pasta doesn't doesn't taste the same. Fred Katz is now in Italy and probably he will know. Um, so it's not about the food that you can get. It's the taste of the food. Uh, up to ask. I get fairly tired of face value, of face value who won what trade discussion. Which howl is better? 
It's oversimplified by how many first rounder you get. Break down real value of the George versus Anthony Davis trade by assigning picks and players value so it's properly weighted. To elaborate, the first pick probably couldn't be bought with a dozen 30, 30th pick. Yeah, I, I, I get I get what you ask, uh, apt to ask. Um, I, I hope that also the listener uh, really uh, understood me reading it. But the point is, can you evaluate two trades and compare them in a fair way? Um, I, I think that, I think the following. Let's start from the players. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Pelicans got Lonzo, Ingram, and, and Josh Hart, plus four first-round picks. Um, and that that is a huge haul. I do think that the value of the players is less than the one that OKC got, because you can get a better pick for Shea that you can get from either um, Ingram and Lonzo, and maybe both. So you can get two lottery-protected pick for both, but you can get an unprotected pick for Shea. Because Shea has the legitimate chance to be a superstar, and for Hart you get a, l- a lesser pick than a lesser pick than um, than Gallinari. So if you ask um, New to to trade Lonzo and Ingram for Shea, I do think that the team that says no is OKC, and the same goes for Gallo for Hart. So the player value is in favor of the um, Clippers trade. So the Paul George trade. The picks, it's it's hard because if I have to choose the, the team that has the the highest chances to be bad after 2022, that is the Lakers. And so the value of the picks is higher in that ki- in that case. If you if you think about overall, they are pretty even, uh, but the the picks that the Lakers gave out in their in their trade, I think can swing it to the Lakers because there is a universe where you get two unprotected first in the top five. I don't think that you can get the same with the Clippers, mainly because of the the way they are managed, the owner, and and so you can you can see why uh, someone says that the Lakers trade is better. The Kari Sanchez, another um, well-known listener, or at least for me, um, I know it's a little early, but who are some prospects in the upcoming draft that intrigue you for the Thunder? Uh, yeah, it's too early, uh, and I don't know anything about the draft as of today, so forgive me. Uh, but I, I'm fairly interested about the Italian guy, Nico Mannion. He's a player that doesn't really fit what OKC needs, because we have like three point guards. But he is a tall point guard that can shoot the basketball, and he's fairly creative with the ball. So maybe he's not really uh, someone that you can't pair with Shea. Let me pull up real quick this, the, um, the stats, not the stats, the um, physical of, of Nico Mannion. Um, he is listed as uh, 6'3". Yeah, that, that seems right. He's uh, 2001. He's born in 2001. He's committed to Arizona State, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he... He was amazing uh, for Italy in 
in the youth competition like U16, U19, stuff like that. He's a guy that will be great, I think, uh, in, um, in the NCAA. He can do multiple things. He can score. He can pass it. So he's a, he's a point guard that I, I think OKC could, could pick next year, especially if they, if they can get, um, like maybe trade someone uh, to, to be in the lottery, uh, to get a lottery pick one way or another. Dr. Pepsi, Pepsi United, another frequent uh, guy in my timeline who always asks um, interesting questions. Um, would you rather have got Shemet than one of the picks in the point uh, in the Paul George trade? Yes, yes, that's without a doubt. Of doubt. Uh, I do think that um, Shemet was not really discussed as a. Um, as part of the package from the Clippers, they, or, or, or it was instead of Shea. And if you ask me which one of the player I want, clearly it's Shea. But like Shea plus three picks and one swap instead of four picks and two swaps, I think I would go Shemet. Uh, I, I think that he's a guy that can complement Shea Gilgis Alexander fairly well. Defensively, he's not there, uh, but, but he can really shoot it. He's a guy that can shoot it on the move, that can that can shot on a dime, stop on a dime, jump and and, and take a three point with with ease. Um, so yeah, uh, I I think that Shemet is worth uh, a first round pick, and, and so yeah, I would trade that for uh, for him. Last question, and I hope I didn't forget anything, but um, I think I didn't. Rack Bowler, what is the most likely route to OKC next franchise player? Drafted with an OKC own pick. Drafted with one of the multiple picks from PG Rust trades. Is on the roster already. Is traded for using a combination of above. So the least likely, I think, um, is... Well, I don't know. Um, let's discuss every one of these uh, possibilities. One, drafted with an OKC own pick. Very likely. Like, there is no denial that in 2022, OKC can be real bad. And by real bad, I don't think like 15 wins team, but 35 win teams in the West, which is which could be extremely bad. Like, number 13 or 14 in the conference, because the West is so good. Uh, and it's it doesn't seem that they, that is going to change uh, in the next two seasons. And in 2022, you will have high schooler uh, in, in in the draft. And if that is the case, I trust Presti to, to make an awesome pick. And if you get like number five, number four pick in that draft, plus one of the uh, Los Angeles pick, if I'm not mistaken, or I, I didn't count like, I don't know, but I probably OKC has two picks in 2022. Um, if that is the case, then this is extremely likely that you can draft an ex-franchise player. Drafted with one of the multiple picks from PG Rust Raids. Uh, that is likely as well, because Miami can be so bad, so bad uh, in, in, two, in two or three years. Because Jimmy is not a, a player that has been healthy. Um, the team has him and basically nothing else. And so maybe next year he plays 40 games and they are in the lottery and you pick number five. And who knows? 
Maybe it's Nico Mannion. Maybe it's someone like that. Um, I really don't know. But, uh, but this is not unlikely. I would say it's a little bit less likely than number one. He's on the roster already. Oh, that's probably the unlikeliest. But, I mean, Shea, he's so young. So I probably put this as um, a slightly less than number two. So yeah, it's the, the less likely. Four is very interesting. Um, if you are thinking about a player, like the number four was, is traded for using a combination of above. Uh, so if you're thinking that OKC trades for a guy like Bradley Beal or a guy like Towns or a guy like Anthony Davis, yeah, yeah, forget about that. I don't think that that is the case. But if you think about, let's see, let's say that OKC next season has number five pick. And number one is not for, like, they don't want to trade. But number three is up for trades. And you send your number five plus Ferguson plus Miami's 2021 and you pick number three. And he is the star of your team. Then yes, that I think is extremely unlike. He's the, 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 the one that is most likely to happen. I do think that trading up uh, with that draft stock is something that uh, that Presti should and will consider. Uh, because maybe you evaluate a guy like Sabonis in a different way than anyone else. And you see that the 11 pick has extremely high value. And so you get it by sending a player like, like Ibaka. So I do think that if I have to rank them, it's 4, 1, 2, 3. So... The combination is the likeliest, then it's own pick, then it's number two, which is drafted with one of the multiple picks from PG Rust Trades, and the number three is, is on the roster already. Unless Shea becomes an all-star and the best point guard uh, that he can be. Okay, we, we got through all of your questions. Again, I am so, so lucky uh, to have you as a as a Twitter friends or well whatever you want to call our relation, uh, down to dung is so uh, fortunate to have all these people that really helps and that uh, contrib- contribute to the to the show. Uh, and so thank you again for us taking time to ask me questions, and I hope that you like my answers. Um, I'm excited. Uh, to be honest about about this season, I I loved OKC um, since I I'm following the NBA. I loved Russ, I loved KD, but it's also fun to move on, to have a different team to watch every every single day, to have different things that you should look for because you when you when you watch a Russell Westbrook game, uh, you kind of see, you kind of are used to to look into stuff. Is he, is he taking a pull-up? Is he taking a tree? What is he doing there? Now, it's all new. Can be can be worse? Yes, probably it will be in terms of winning. But can we become better basketball uh, minds for watching 82 games of a different team, of different stuff? And will Donovan show something different to us will he be a better coach will he be able to communicate more of his basketball style to this roster 
Will Adams improve? Will Ferguson be a 40% shooter? Will Diallo be able to hit 35% on his corner tree while being a great defender? Will Ander Robertson be 80, 50, 20% of what he was last season? Will he be able to play meaningful basketball games? How Gallo will play into this team? Is he the first um, offensive player, like the best offensive player on the on the Thunder? Is he going to take over as your first choice on offense? Is he good enough on defense? Is he going to be traded soon or later? Chris Paul, we have so many questions about him. Uh, the first one is why you want to pose naked. But, but anyway, um, is he going to be a Clippers version where he was a wizard with the ball in his hand? Will he bark too much to the young players where the, the locker room has a fracture like old and a new guy and so you have to move on? Will he be a good mentor to Shea, to even Schroeder? What Schroeder is going to do is extremely interesting. His experience with FIBA went really poor. Uh, his team was even worse in Italy. Will he search um, revenge? Uh, will, he, will he be willing to show how how great of a point guard he is. Uh, I mean, I have so many questions. Adams, is he going to pass? Is he going to, to, to improve in terms of touch, in terms of free throws, in terms of stretching the court? What's Noel value? Is he going to be with OKC the entire season? I mean, there's nothing that we know for sure about this team. And this is extremely exciting. I know that it's scaring because, I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, I will pay for the league pass and I don't know if my money are well spent or not or if I want to like throw the remote control on my TV every single day because it's brutal to watch. But the point is, this is this is what the NBA is about. This is what fandom is about and what is uh, covering a team or sort of covering a team it's about. It's about new, it's about new experiences, about new um, basketball. Thank you uh, to everyone for listening to this solo episode of the Down to Dunk. Um, I don't know what will happen on Wednesday. Uh, I hope uh, that we you hear about us soon. In the meantime, please listen uh, and share this episode. Follow me on Twitter at MikeYubera. Follow Down to Dunk. Follow Andrew K. Schlecht on Twitter. And please, if you can, since you're so great at asking questions, please leave us an, a five eyes to iTunes review. Uh, you have to just go into the Apple Podcast app, um, select Down to Dunk and press five star. This will help the show a lot. Um, again, thank you. Uh, and... We'll, we'll talk soon.